Hello and welcome back to the British English Podcast, the show all about British culture and British English. And today we're going back in time. We're going to give you a bit of history. Um, and I've chosen one. This is a, a bit smelly. And in no way is this the reason why I've invited uh, Martin from <laughs> Rock and Roll English on the show. But uh, I thought it would be fun to go through some content together on this topic. Thank you very much, Martin, for agreeing to choose this topic with me. <laughs> very happy to be here to talk about a bad smell. <laughs> Are you doing all right? I have to say yes, just to psych myself up. But yeah, maybe later in life, Charlie, because you're a married man now, I don't know what the future holds for you. But if you do decide to go down the children route, my advice is spread them out a bit more than I did. Yeah, okay. <laughs> So you did yeah. one at the age of uh, two and then you went again? Yes, yeah, so there's exactly two years between them. Yes, that's a nicer way of saying it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think seeing my sister struggle with this because mm. she had twins after her first one uh, and they tried, they had two years between them. Um, yeah. Oh, that's, wow, so she had three. Was three under three, had... yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yes. yeah. Mm. Yeah, I I know a lot of people are against this, but um, I'd like to just have one. <laughs> I hope my son never listens to this, but I do sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I do sometimes ask myself if it if it would have been better. <laughs> That's really refreshing to hear because most people are like, "Of course, it was the right decision," but yeah. Interesting. Um, interesting i'm sure i will hate myself in years yeah. for saying that but um yeah. but no and in fact it, it is it does get easier and it already is much easier but those first few months oh, there are some dark times believe me <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm very much enjoying my um immense amount of free time to myself I actually think that when I look at pictures, I even see a picture the week before my daughter was born. And I look at that picture and I think I was so young then because just mm. from that moment, because that's the thing, it's your time. It's not, you don't change as a person, but it's like, I can't do this now because I have to. Yeah. You can't do of all of the human. You can't do all of the things that made you, you, I guess. Yeah, just well. lot, lots of things that you enjoyed doing, which you then can't do. That's that's the problem. Yeah. Well, um, I look forward to those days. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm blessed with a child, of course. Of course. Um, but uh, yeah, so we're here to talk about the great stink. So uh, what is the great stink? We will tell you all about it. We've um, gathered together some thoughts on paper, so we're going to have a little read through them and then discuss the, uh, the way in which we wrote it down, perhaps, as well. Remember that this episode, just like every single other episode on this show, comes with a free worksheet where you get to see some of the best native expressions that come up in this very episode, along with definitions made for you, a non-native learner. 
I've even designed it so that you can play the podcast episode on the same page as the free worksheet. It's super user-friendly, so head over to thebritishenglishpodcast.com right now and check out the free podcast worksheets or simply click on the link that says free podcast worksheets in the show notes of this episode. So let's uh, let's journey back to the mid 19th century London and you've got a picture bustling streets, the heart of the Industrial Revolution and innovations emerging from every corner. Goodness me. Um, yeah, amidst this progress, London faced a unique and pressing crisis in the summer of 1858. And this is known as the Great Stink. It wasn't just a quirky moment of history. It was this intense aroma that became a turning point for urban planning and public health. It was a stench so overwhelming, it even disrupted the British Parliament. Pretty mental, right? Absolutely. And I love how they chose the name for this event as the Great Stink. Yet when people describe it like you were there, you have like intense aroma. You think, oh, wow. I actually associate aroma with like a, a nice smell. But when whoever chose that name just thought the Great Stink, that's a good yeah. name, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think it, it yeah, it's great in the, uh, the intensity of it. Um, but yeah, I would think aroma, I think like perfumes, mm. nice smelling flowers, <laughs> that kind of thing. I would never put it with this. Maybe, maybe the script is being a bit quirky there. But, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it does then change with a stench. So mm. that that's moving more, much more towards stink. Obviously, yeah, stench, it? I'd say is a stronger stink, wouldn't you? Absolutely. And it is amazing to think how a smell could lead to such pivotal changes. And this isn't just about a fleeting odour, but a story that shaped the future of a city. Yeah. So um, we journey back to the mid 19th century London. It's, uh, it's quite important to paint a vivid picture of the city's landscape. So London was undergoing an incredible transformation. The Industrial Revolution was in full swing, right? Um, bringing with it not only advancements, but challenges. Uh, the city's population was exploding. And with that growth came a pressing strain on its resources. So buildings stretching as far as the eye could see, factories billowing smoke into the sky and the Thames was this once pristine river was now looking a little worse for wear. It was looking more like a, a murky soup bearing the brunt of this urban explosion martin do you do you think that uh you would fare well in these times any difficult times i don't fare well in as we were just talking about at the beginning of the podcast um uh, so i definitely wouldn't but it is interesting to know so this is new for me that this was the beginning of the thames being absolutely disgusting then <laughs> yeah and it's never never recovered still disgusting. I, yeah. i've seen pictures of like I think it's like the 50s where people were jumping into the Thames and you just think what the hell were you doing there, wow. there are those places in London where it's almost like a little beach I'm not sure if you've seen it um, I think it's quite near South Bank I'm not 100% sure yeah I was told about this by my barber the other day it's as if they're on holiday at the beach 
getting into the Thames, which is just absolutely disgusting. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it, guys. I mean, you'd learn very quickly as soon as you see it. But uh, I think locals don't typically think of having a dip in the Thames. No, exactly. And let's obviously not forget the sanitation or should I say lack thereof with the boom of the city's inhabitants and limited understanding of waste management. London's streets and alleys became littered with refuse. The common practice was to toss waste into cesspits or directly onto the streets and astonishingly much of this would eventually find its way into the Thames, the very river supplying water to homes and businesses the concept of a centralized sewage system virtually non-existent it's easy to imagine how the stage was set for a crisis isn't it charlie it really is like um i mean was loo paper a thing back then (laughs) i'd never asked myself that question but that is a very good question when was loo paper invented 1857 loo paper was invented this was in 1858 wasn't it so it was invented just before the great (laughs) state year before maybe that's part of it oh my god i think we've we've got to the bottom of this haven't we yeah we don't need to talk about this anymore so it was the loo paper no we're joking but um that might have caused like the roads to be even more disgusting Imagine and, chucking down your waste with all that loo paper. It would get all... Of course. Oh. The, and the sewage system, could it handle that? No, probably not. And probably what? Not. how were toilets flushing in 1858? What was this? I suppose, bucket of water. <laughs> yeah, bucket of water. Yeah. yeah. Have you done that in your life? Oh, like so forced a manual flush. <laughs> So many times. <laughs> so many times. Really? When, when we were in Italy, our toilet was always breaking. Um, so I've done that so many times. <laughs> Too many times. Would you, say, would you say you're quite good at it? I'd say I'm pretty good because it has to be like an aggressive toss if that, yeah. if I'm allowed to say that. It sounds a bit dodgy, but it has to be, you have to aggressively throw that water down the toilet. Otherwise nothing is going. Yeah. But whether they were good at, aggressively tossing down the toilet i don't know but but yeah they would just chuck it out of the window wouldn't they so you don't want to be too aggressive with your toss there because <laughs> somebody might be walking underneath and this is all going down the streets to the river oh my god, god. remember that this episode just like every single other episode on this show comes with a free worksheet where you get to see some of the best native expressions that come up in this very episode along with definitions made for you a non-native learner i've even designed it so that you can play the podcast episode on the same page as the free worksheet it's super user friendly so head over to the britishenglishpodcast.com right now and check out the free podcast worksheets or or simply click on the link that says free podcast worksheets in the show notes of this episode. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, as if the existing sanitation issues weren't pressing enough, uh, July of 1858 threw in another challenge. Uh, London was gripped by an unprecedented heat wave. Uh, temperatures soared and this only made the stench from the polluted Thames even more potent. So the river heated under the relentless sun 
emanating a smell that was even more unbearable than before. I cannot believe how bad that would be. That would that would be the great stink. I can get it. I get it now. Absolutely. And obviously give British people just another reason to moan about the weather. Because <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. It's too hot. Exactly. It's too hot. It's especially when you've got this disgusting smell and then five, the, the heat wave only comes when we've got this, the great stink. That's what I can imagine people saying. Yeah, definitely. Um, but obviously it was more than just an inconvenience. It was a disruption to the very core of daily life in London. Imagine the Houses of Parliament, the epicentre of British governance, not being spared from this overpowering odour. In a desperate attempt to combat the stench, members of Parliament even resorted to drenching their curtains in chloride of lime. Key discussions and debates central to the operation of the country now had this very strange backdrop. It was clear that this was a crisis demanding immediate attention. Yeah, imagine that. So a chloride of lime. So I guess just very citrusy, right? It would smell (laughs) really, really citrusy in the Houses of Parliament to try and drown out this great stench. Absolutely. I suppose that's a logical thing. To get... To get rid of the smell, yeah. I would probably just pack my bags and just leave the country. I've already left the country once in my life, so that would have been my plan of attack. As I mentioned, when you said, how would you have dealt with this? I'm never very good in disasters, very much like running away from problems. So that would have been my strategy. So we're about halfway through this episode and I felt like now would be a good time to tell you that I have made a quick quiz for you to take for free that tests if you are actually improving your English from listening to this specific episode. If you pass it, that means you're using your time effectively and I'll say congratulations. If you don't pass it, then I'll have to bend you over, get my slipper and... Sorry, it's not the 70s. What am I doing? I will throw away the slipper and simply say, um, I suggest spending a bit more of your focus on each episode to ensure that you're actually progressing with your English studies. To take the quick quiz, click on the link that says Take Quick Quiz, which is in the show notes of this episode. And if you don't know how to find the show notes in the podcast app you're using, it's normally found by clicking the options button on the player screen, which looks like three dots in a row. Once you've done that, click go to episode and you should see the link staring you in the face. Best of luck, and I do hope you pass with flying colours so that you don't need to be sent to the headmaster's office. Let's get back to the episode, shall we? Yeah, I wonder how many people did leave London because of this. I would say a few. Yeah, maybe there's some history in like people's ancestry of like, ah, oh, why are you in the south of Europe? Ah, oh, my great 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 grandparents, the Great Stink. They couldn't handle. <laughs> they it. couldn't handle the Great Stink. <laughs> Yeah. So one of the fascinating aspects of this time period was the prevailing understanding of disease. Uh, There was a dominant theory known as the miasma theory. Uh, Essentially, it was the belief that diseases, especially those like cholera, were caused not by bacteria or pathogens, but by bad air or miasmas. Miasmus, I think that's how they say it. Um, I'm glad you're so, saying that and not me, by the way. 
<laughs> so uh, imagine with the great stink taking over, many Londoners were petrified because they would probably be thinking that they're getting this disease, right? So they thought that this foul air enveloping the city was not just unpleasant, but a direct threat to their health. It's weird to think, isn't it? Like we, what well, I think arrogantly, oh, silly them. But if everyone's telling you that information, that's that's what you naturally think, isn't of, it? Of course. And I think comparisons can be made there with the COVID situation. Now, I was mm-hmm. in Italy where it, well, in Europe was the first country that was hit. And I can tell you those first few days where no one knew what was happening, many people, I must admit, this was the only time in my life where I didn't panic and actually just thought I'm going to live my life like normal. But so many people were so scared of absolutely everything, like wearing gloves in the supermarkets, masks, like not going anywhere near you. Um, So I think definite comparisons can be made there. Yeah, it was a scary time. Well done for not leaving the country like you said that you normally do in a crisis. (laughs) Yeah. Although you're now in London, so did you? (laughs) No, I I stuck it out for a bit uh, and then then quickly left after. But yeah, they in, in Italy as well, it was crazy. I, and the, the difference I noticed when I came back to England was incredible. And I think it really showed the difference in culture there because English people were just kind of like, I'll oh, just get on with it. So you'd go to the shops and things and no one was wearing masks. And whilst in Italy, it was just like so rigid, like you had to wear masks. People would like verbally abuse you if you weren't. Um, uh-huh. whilst in England it just seemed like no one cared at all right I mean I pro- I did see some like viral videos on lad bible of this kind of situation but in your everyday life I think that's yeah I actually I can't comment because I wasn't in the UK during COVID but I can imagine yeah that to be accurate in our culture yeah no d- definitely and I think even Boris Johnson at the beginning his stance was like we're not doing anything, just carry on. I think that's a British way sometimes of just like, if you don't feel well, like, you know, just get on with it, just go to work, um, which yeah. isn't probably the best in situations like this. So yeah, obviously can totally understand why why these people were petrified. Um, but while sure. the miasma theory wasn't accurate, the concern for health was very real. London had faced several cholera outbreaks prior to 1858. While the stink itself didn't cause these diseases, it certainly shone a spotlight on the deplorable sanitation conditions that did not play a role in disease spread. The stench from the Thames was a wake-up call, making it impossible to ignore the broader health crisis plaguing the city. Nasty. And yeah, so the Great Stink wasn't just a topic of hushed whispers or casual conversations. It dominated the headlines. Yeah, maybe maybe a bit of clickbait back then. <laughs> or I suppose, no, not clickbait. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone was clicking. Yeah. <laughs> so um, news- newspapers were filled with dramatic descriptions of the situation. Headlines like The Great Stench and London Under Siege by Foul Air painted a vivid picture. The media didn't just report on the crisis. They amplified the public's outcry 
Um, their relentless coverage played a pivotal role in emphasizing the urgent need for change. Now, it is almost comforting to know that the media hasn't changed that much because that's exactly <laughs> what I would imagine today. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They've got to sell the newspapers somehow. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it wasn't just journalists and newspapers that brought attention to this issue. Renowned figures of the time weighed in too. Take Charles Dickens, for instance. He wrote about the stench in his letters, describing the Thames as a deadly sewer. It's intriguing how figures like Dickens, who already had such profound influence on society, further highlighted the severity of the situation. Their voices echoed the public sentiments, cementing the fact that London was facing a crisis that couldn't be ignored. Mm. Charles Dickens getting... Getting involved. Yeah, getting involved. Good on him. Good on him, I suppose. And I mean, you can't not think about it if you're writing and the stench is coming through your nostrils. I mean... (laughs) It would have to play a part in your writing, right? Of course. And obviously, so back then, someone like Dickens, obviously so important. Why do you think now everyone would be making YouTube videos about that? TikToks, wouldn't they? Yeah, people would be like uh, five hacks on how to get the stench (laughs) out of your room. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess when faced with adversity, sometimes all it takes is, is one visionary to turn the tide. Enter Sir Joseph uh, I would like to say Joseph Balzalgetti. Would you would you guess that? Yeah, that sounds good to me. We'll go with yeah. that. Yeah. Sir Joseph. Let's just call him Sir Joseph. <laughs> let's call him Joe. <laughs> Joe. Joe, the civil engineer, uh, had a vision and that apparently would transform London. So Joe saw uh, beyond the immediate crisis and he envisaged a comprehensive sewer system that wouldn't just address the current stench, but would cater to a rapidly growing London for generations to come. So it looks like Sir Joe saved the day. Mm, Yeah, more than just the day. Yeah, and I'm not sure, but I would like to think that's how he became a sir. He wasn't a sir before this happened. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'd guess so, yeah. I don't know, that definitely for me warrants the title sir if you've basically saved the city of london absolutely yeah they're handing it out willy-nilly nowadays yeah i think back then that would definitely be necessary absolutely but sir joe's design was ambitious he proposed a series of interconnecting sewers both large and small, that would intercept the waste before it reached the Thames. But the challenges were immense. Building such a system in a sprawling, bustling city was no easy feat. There were engineering challenges, political hurdles and financial constraints. But through determination and innovation, by 1875, the majority of the system was complete. It wasn't just an engineering marvel, but a testament to human resilience and foresight. Mm. So are we talking this stench, this stink lasted 17 years? Because we've gone from 1858 and this is now this system complete in 1875. Yeah, I I would hope not for everyone. Uh, I <laughs> because... think, no, I, th- I think it was just the heat that made it so great. 
Right. So come the winter and they don't need to douse their curtains in citrus smelling stuff as often, maybe. Right. So and then there were there were no more heat waves until eighteen seventy five. I mean probably it probably <laughs> got a bit smelly every summer until the system was in place. Surely you would think of leaving if it was seventeen years. I thought this was just like a, a one week thing. Yeah, that's a long period. We will leave it there for part one of today's episode. Thank you very much for listening up to this point. If you did want to listen to part two and part three of this conversation, then you can head over to the BritishEnglishPodcast.com and check out the premium podcast or academy memberships. The premium podcast gives you access to the full conversation along with extended glossaries, transcripts and flashcards. Whereas the academy gives you all of that plus exclusive videos and audios for the season-based episodes, explaining the vocabulary, exampling them, giving you quizzes, writing assignments and weekly speaking classes on Zoom. But if you were just here for part one of this conversation, then I thank you very much for stopping by. I hope you enjoyed the show. Do grab that free worksheet by clicking the link in the show notes. My name's Charlie and I will see you next week on the British English Podcast. Remember to take that quick quiz to test your knowledge of this episode and to see if you're using your time effectively or if you're wasting it. Oh no, let's hope you pass. Find the link to it in the show notes of your podcast player. I'll give you a hint. It says, take quick quiz. Best of luck.